This is Mike Corey from ESPN, and you're listening to the Sports Objective Podcast, the unofficial podcast of the Pirates. Welcome to the Sports Objective Podcast, uh, impromptu version of the show, uh, a mini version, if you will, of the inside slant that we'll have Friday night. We had plans of this guy joining us then. Unfortunately, his schedule uh, will not allow him to do so, but uh, he's been nice enough to join us this afternoon as we preview the SMU-Memphis matchup this weekend in Dallas. Welcome in the play-by-play voice in the Mustangs, Rich Phillips. Rich, we appreciate you joining us. No problem. Glad to be on with you. So taking a look at this matchup, um, you have a Memphis club, and they'll be playing for the first time in four weeks. Meanwhile, SMU's off to a 3-0 and start. Uh, so just give us a general overview, what's your take on things as we head into Saturday? Well, it's been interesting so far, to say the least, the first month of the season. SMU uh, had one of their games postponed as well back in week two against TCU, but they've gotten three in, one of very few teams in the country who have played three games and have won all three games too, by the way. So a pretty nice start and uh, offense certainly getting better and better. It seems each week. Yeah. You mentioned that three and start for the Mustangs. Memphis only playing one game. Uh, I guess there's some advantages and disadvantages, you know, for, for the Tigers. They've had an awful lot of time to prepare for you guys, but at the same time, man, they're going to be a little rusty. It's like starting the season all over again. Yeah, I think so. And, you know, one of the things that, that might be an advantage for Memphis is they got a lot more tape to look at on SMU because they've had three full games they've played. And and quite honestly, I talked to Sonny Dykes the other day, and his statement to me was they don't know who's going to play for Memphis. It's not like, you know, the, of course, a lot of their problems have been COVID-related, whether it's been guys that were positive or guys that were just contact trace. And it's not like the team is turning over a list to you of who's out because of COVID or who hasn't practiced. So, uh, they pretty much know Brady White's going to be at quarterback. I think they pretty much know DeMonte Cox is going to be at wide receiver. And outside of that, I think it's uh, a lot of uh, guessing a little bit at this point. Early on, uh, SMU's offense is clicking. Sonny Dykes obviously comes from that air raid background, the Mike Leach tree. You bring in uh, Garrett Riley, a guy who coached here at East Carolina uh, for one season on the staff. He was the GA before that, uh, outside receivers coach, little brother to Lincoln Riley. Uh, how, uh, how does, uh, you guys feel about, uh, Garrett so far? Uh, it's been a really good start for him. You know, they didn't uh, change over a whole lot of stuff because uh, he kind of was like, like you were talking about one of the disciples there of that air raid offense. And of course he came into a situation where you got your quarterback back. You've got several of your wide receivers back, your tight ends back. Almost your entire offensive line was back. The only thing they've had to do is, kind of figure a few things out at running back because they had two seniors that were the primary guys last year. But uh, so far, T.J. McDaniel and redshirt freshman Ulysses Bentley have been great out of the gates. Bentley leads the nation in touchdown rushes and in rushing yards right now. Uh, and, Rich, you know, the SMU offense is, is clicking, and there's a lot of other good teams in this league that have good offenses. But I think, you know, when you kind of get towards the end of the year, the best teams are going to be the teams that have that offense but the defense, too. 
Kind of analyze SMU's defense and what you think are the strengths right now. Still a little bit of a work in progress, I think, defensively. A lot of it's because they've had so many changes on their defensive line. This is a team that last year led the nation with 51 sacks, but the bulk of those sacks were seniors and guys that are no longer here. Uh, they did get a few things going last week, albeit against a little bit lesser competition in Stephen F. Austin, but they did have five sacks last week. Where I think they've really improved the best and the most is going to be in the secondary. Their two corners, Armani Johnson uh, and uh, Brandon Stevens, were first-year starters last year, so they've got another year of experience. But they've got some guys that look like they could be playmakers at the safety position, especially Chase Cromartie, who played a little bit last year as a freshman. But he really looks like uh, he's going to be a pretty big player for them in the secondary this year. Yeah, I'm taking a look at the um, passing game. Um, veteran quarterback, like you, we've already mentioned, is Shane Bouchelle. And, and just talk about um, – you, you've already referenced um, the, the running backs, but um, just just talk about some of the tremendous skill talent um, that, that Sonny Dykes and his staff have at their disposal. Well, of course, Bouchelle came in last year and didn't even get to start practicing with the team until August after he had uh, graduated from Texas and was able to complete his transfer here and then went out and set a school record for passing yardage and passing touchdowns in his first season. And now he knows the offense this year, so that's definitely uh, a good sign for him. Reggie Robertson is their leading returning receiver. Now, he didn't play in the Memphis game last year. That was right uh, after he had gotten hurt against Houston and he missed the rest of the season. But Reggie's a guy who uh, can be a possession receiver, but he can stretch the field at the same time. He doesn't necessarily have to be that stretch the field guy, though, because of a junior college transfer they got this year. Uh, Danny Gray was the number two Juco wide receiver in the country coming out of Blinn Junior College. And a couple of weeks ago, the North Texas game, we really saw his Jets on a 62-yard touchdown catch. So a couple of big-time playmakers there at receiver. And then Kylan Granson, who last year set the SMU single-season tight end records for receiving yards and for touchdowns is back this year. So a lot of good options for Shane Bouchelle to throw to on this team. You, you, we had a format change in the American, went away from divisions this year. Uh, Memphis SMU would have West Division Championship written all over it. Uh, do you think that changes the approach at all? In, in term, well, I, you always want to win the game, so that's always the approach. But from a mental standpoint, you're, you're trying to finish one or two in the league to, to play for the championship versus trying to, to to win a division. Do you think that changes anything at all? I mean, from a mental standpoint. I don't think it really changes anything from a mental standpoint. The one thing it does do is you're not necessarily in danger of being eliminated if you lose this game on Saturday because, well, if you win all the rest of your games in the conference, you're likely going to be in that championship game, uh, whereas Memphis would already – or SMU would already have the other eliminated. So I think that's really about the only change. But uh, from a mental standpoint, especially when it comes to players, I don't, I don't, I'd be willing to bet a lot of the players don't even know. You know, <laughs> They just know they need to go out and win games to get the conference championship game. Rich, here a few weeks ago, we talked to Billy Embody from SMU's 24-7 sites, and uh, he was talking about some of the some of the differences um, with uh, the previous coordinator and then and now uh, Garrett Riley. So just talk about that and um, the changes that you may have seen through three games. You know, there have been maybe some subtle differences, but, you know, hey, he doesn't want to come in here and mess up a good thing. You know, he already knows he's got a really solid quarterback. It, it's been about – making sure here in these first three weeks that they get everybody on the same page, especially with, with the running backs. 
they got a veteran offensive line. Four of the five starters were the starters all year last year. So I think a lot of what Garrett has done is try not to uh, beat the fly in the ointment to make things sticky here and to mess things up because he knows he's coming into a really good offensive situation. Uh, and Rich, with the stadium capacity, what what is the capacity going to be for the game this weekend, and how's that affected? Um, you know the the teams the team's ability um, with not having a normal crowd. So they're doing twenty five percent, and they've sold it out too. They, matter of fact, we declared last week a sellout. <laughs> they, they sold it all out on season tickets, <laughs> by the way, too, which is nice. It's about eight thousand or so. Uh, that they're doing. And it, it kind of does stink because coming off a 10 win year last year and a lot of excitement and enthusiasm, they were on pace back in the spring to have a record year for season tickets in the 20 years they played at Ford stadium. And obviously that goes out the window, but so you're looking at about 8,000, about a thousand of those are students. It definitely changes the dynamic, but you know, for those of us that have been around there for a while, it unfortunately looked like a lot of games that we've seen, in the previous 15 years or so that there've been some small crowds. I, I really don't think it affected the players much, uh, affected the team much either. Uh, the staff that, you know, the band is there. So you still hear that, but uh, it was good. I know they just enjoyed a, a night to actually be in their home stadium last week. Rich, I wanted to bring up something. Um, we talk about Garrett Riley, uh, not, not changing too much from what you guys were doing under uh, Rhett Lashley. Uh, he moved on to Miami. His offense is, you know, he's got he's got a, a former Houston quarterback. Can't think of his name right now at Miami. Uh, Derek King. King, yeah, yeah, Derek King. His offense is clicking. Uh, obviously, it's his show on the offensive side of the ball down at Miami. Um, you had a chance to be around Rhett Lashley, obviously being at SMU. Uh, do you think he's destined to be a head coach here in the near future? think he'd have a good shot of it you know i felt like he was uh, a pretty uh pretty strong personality in that coaching staff uh in that coaching group last year and you know one of the things that's that, that it has been intriguing to me about sonny dyke since he got here is whereas he's a an offensive guy and considered a great offensive mind he lets his coordinators coach and he lets his coordinators call the plays and he did that with rhett doing that with Garrett this year. But, yeah, I thought Rhett was pretty impressive, and I was happy when uh, when he got the the call up, if you will, to go to Miami this year. Uh, taking a look at um, what the Mustangs have ahead um, a- after Memphis on Saturday, um, uh, on the 16th they have a trip to New Orleans to take on Tulane, a, a ball club that's been up and down this year. And then on the 24th uh, you have the Cincinnati Bearcats coming in, which is it's awesome to have um, – another one of the title contenders um, coming to Dallas. Yeah, the conference schedule is uh, pretty big right out of the gates for SMU with this game Saturday against Memphis. Tulane's definitely won in two weeks. They can't overlook that. That team just went to Hattiesburg last week and put 66 on the board, I believe it was. Uh, then Cincinnati, as I mentioned, coming in here later this month. They've got uh, some some big ones right out of the gates this year in conference play. Uh, Rich, back to Bouchelle. What's been the biggest thing you think he's improved on from last year to this year you've seen so far? Uh, I think it's just his overall command of the offense. Because, like I said, he couldn't practice with these guys until August of last year because he was in the spring still finishing up uh, his uh, undergrad studies at the University of Texas so he could transfer. I think it's just the overall grasp of uh, the offense and knowing more of the intricacies about it. Uh, his arm was was nothing short of impressive, I thought, last year. 
Uh, his ability to throw the deep ball and how well he throws it on the money has been extremely impressive. And, uh, man, I just, you know, looking for a 4,000-yard season for him this year. He just missed out on it last season. Now, Rich, um, what year is this for you as the play-by-play voice of the Mustangs? Well, the gray hair should tell you it's been a while, 20th season okay. that I've been in the booth here at SMU. Okay, I, I knew it had been a, I knew it had been a while because I remember hearing your interviews down through the years on Pirate Radio when sure. the Pirates and the Mustangs have squared off. But um, you know, you've had the opportunity, June Jones, and um, there's been some success. Uh, so, how do you think this stacks up onto June Jones, Chad Morris, et cetera? You know, last year was pretty amazing. I mean, uh, they went into this Memphis game a year ago, 8-0, top 25, as was Memphis. It was a game last year that was uh, prime time on ABC. Uh, ESPN's College Game Day was in Memphis for that game. Those are things that we have not seen around here in the 20 years that I've worked here. They've been in the game that was on game day a few times, but it was because of the opponent that game day was there. This time, last year, it was because of both schools that it was there, and uh, getting an ESPN spot this week too with Memphis. Uh, I, I really feel like, I mean, 10 wins last year was the first time in 35 years. This program had won 10 games in a season. I, I just really feel like there's something a little bit different when I see guys that, uh, are being added through recruiting and transfers and whatnot. It's a different kind of athlete that's been coming in here the last couple of years since Sonny Dykes has been here. It just seems like he's got a little bit more momentum rolling right now. Yeah, and this matchup is one that would be extremely intriguing, obviously, uh, any year. But uh, under these circumstances, Memphis having not played in nearly a month and uh, SMU ha- having played three games and, uh, and, and the competition not having been as much as what they should face against Memphis, depending on who Memphis has at, as, at its disposal, excuse me, um, makes this all the more intriguing on Saturday afternoon. Yeah, that's uh, the, the real thing for SMU is while they are off to a 3-0 start, it is teams that they were definitely heavily favored against and expected to beat Texas State, North Texas on the road, and then at home against Stephen F. Austin. Big step up in competition, and and it's also a team they haven't done well against. I believe uh, SMU's 3-9 and all-time against Memphis, and they've lost six straight. So uh, definitely uh, looking to change that a little bit on Saturday, but uh, one of the better matchups, definitely the best matchup we've seen this season. Uh, I watched that game with Texas State. You know, I've watched them play a couple times this year. That might be the best one in three football team in America. Texas State, yeah, yeah, that UTSA game that they uh, they uh, won, they won that one in overtime, right? And that was a no, they lost, they lost that one. That's right, that was one that they should have won. Their kicker is the reason they didn't win that one. Yeah, they've uh, definitely uh, a lot of improvement at Texas State this year over what we saw a year ago from them. Should have beat Boston College this past weekend, blew it in the fourth. Yeah. Uh, Hey, Rich, Rich, back to the recruiting a little bit. And, you know, I, I don't know how much, you know, I know we know this, but nationally, how much people realize the tradition, you know, how good SMU has been. And, and, you know, here recently, you know, past couple of years, but when they've had, you know, the really good years here, you know, the, the history, but how nice the campus is. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's the, one of the most beautiful campuses I've seen in being in Dallas. I mean, it's right there in the best part of Dallas and just with the recruiting, area of texas and dallas i mean the the potential is is there what's made it click now with this staff and how far do you think they can take it 
So I think the way they started to turn the corner a little bit was by getting a few of these transfers. And I mentioned Reggie Robertson uh, earlier on, and that's the one that Sonny Dykes points to as the guy who kind of turned things. He's a guy from uh, Mesquite on the east, just east of Dallas, uh, a suburb east side of Dallas. And he had originally gone to West Virginia and decided he wanted to transfer home and was able to get eligible immediately through an appeals waiver. And had success immediately, and it kind of turned the tide to where they started getting a few more of these transfers, grad transfers and whatnot that came here. And these transfer athletes are getting a lot of them are guys that are coming home because they've gone someplace maybe bigger and haven't gotten to play a whole lot, and they come back home and they get to play uh, right away. Shane Bouchelle is another example of it, too. Of course, he lost his starting job at Texas and knew he could transfer here. And so the transfers kind of got the momentum going, but they've also been bringing in high school kids, too, that I think are at a, a different level from what we had seen here. Rasheed Rice is another of the starting wide receivers who started playing as a true freshman last season once Reggie Robertson went out with his injury, and he's starting again this year. TJ McDaniel at running back is a kid who was uh, about a 2,500-yard rusher at South Lake Carroll, which is part of the DFW Metroplex that I don't know if he would have considered SMU five years earlier than he did. But uh, they've really started to turn the tide there. I know some of the commits that they have going into the class of 21, too, are at a different level than what they have had in years past here. But the, the transfer market is what really started to turn it around a little bit for SMU and getting a, a little more talent here where now the high school kids are taking notice, too. Rich, final thing for you before we give you a little 15-minute break before you go on the air <laughs> and, uh, with, with the guys in Memphis. Um, but um, East Carolina and SMU are supposed to square off at, as of right now on November 28th. Um, and uh, the Ponies will be coming to Dowdy Ficklin Stadium for that one after the Pirates went to Ford Stadium a year ago. Uh, so hopefully we'll have you back on the show uh, here oh a couple months. Yeah, I hope you get to come up there, too, because I have I saw the outside of the stadium back in uh, basketball season, but I've not been there since they did the the whole rebuild of the press box and the suites and everything. So I look forward to getting back up there. I always love going to Greenville. Appreciate your time uh, this afternoon and uh, have an excellent call on Saturday. And we look forward to catching up with you uh, here, in, here in the next several weeks. All right. Thanks, guys. Y'all have a good one. Thanks, Rich. Thanks, Rich. All right, well, guys, um, should be a tremendous matchup. Uh, one of one of the top matchups in the American uh, thus far this year, probably the top matchup, and just right off the top of my head that I can think of, uh, with with conference play getting cranked up. And so, uh, how do you think this one may may play out on Saturday in Dallas? All right, it's in Dallas, Memphis. Hadn't played in a month. Lots of COVID issues. Um, I, I think the Mustangs will win. I I think they'll. Uh, I, I think what you'll probably see is them jump on Memphis early, then Memphis get their legs, make it a ball game, and then run out of steam in the fourth. Yeah, I, I, Kyle, I agree with you. I mean, I think SMU is going to score points, and they're clicking, and they have have a rhythm. Memphis doesn't, and I think that in order to win this game, you're going to have to you know, be playing at your highest level, and I, I just think it's going to be tough for Memphis to kind of, you know, get everything flipped the switch without playing here in a couple weeks. And um, taking a look at it, the spread, or this game had actually opened as the pick them, and, and now it's Memphis by two and a half, which wow. and that, that surprised me a little bit, uh, given that, that it's in Dallas and also that they haven't played in four weeks. Uh, I, I would, at this point, I, I would definitely uh, 
be taking SMU in the two and a half points. You know what? Maybe we're maybe we're just reading too much into this COVID stuff because you know it's kind of how we felt about Virginia Tech and NC State, but then uh, yeah. Virginia Tech whipped the crap out of NC State. So <laughs> I, I don't know. Maybe yeah, yeah. If I go if I go with SMU in the two and a half, hopefully that one will go a little bit better than uh, the NC State Virginia Tech pick did for me. Yeah, no, <laughs> I, I'm shocked to hear Memphis is actually favored in this ball game. If it was at the Liberty Bowl, it wouldn't surprise me. But it being in Dallas, that's uh, that's really surprising to me. Yeah, yeah. I, guess, I guess that's the slap in the face I deserve for um, putting putting faith in the Wolfpack and Dave Dorn. Yeah. <laughs> well, especially especially the fact that it started off as a pick'em, and yeah. everybody started going to Memphis. I mean, that's, right. yeah, that's surprising. Yeah. Just because SMU can, I mean, they're they're going to score. I was like so. you. I was like you, Jay. I, I would have guessed that it would have started off with Memphis four or five, and then it would have come down a little bit. But no, it, it, it's risen two and a half points. So that tells yeah. me that the folks out in Vegas have absolutely no confidence in SMU's defense. Yeah, none then, at all. Speaking yeah. of that, speaking yeah. of the over under guys is seventy five. Right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There you go. <laughs> well, really, neither defense, but but they trust Memphis's defense more. <laughs> a field goal better. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, I'll take the over seventy-five. I'd still like the over. But before we wrap this up, um, some of our upcoming content uh, right here on Facebook Live, as well as our YouTube channel, we'll have um, our it's a coordinator report uh, every Wednesday during the season. Um, Blake Carroll, defensive coordinator, and Donnie Kirkpatrick, offensive coordinator, meet with the media via Zoom this year. And uh, we'll, we'll have that for you here in oh, probably 45 minutes to an hour. And so check back for that. Um, tomorrow night we'll have our Pirate Preview. We'll catch up with David Brown of the State of Atlanta podcast and also Ben Moore of Panther Talk 24-7, uh, Georgia State's 24-7 sports site, I should say. Uh, and then during our second half hour, Brian Medor of ECU will join us. Um, on Friday, we'll have the inside slant. Uh, we'll have a uh, pretty uh, packed hour and a half to two hours on, on Friday night, the preview in week five of college football. Um, we'll have Jeff Tarpley of Giggum 24-7 to talk about 6A&M in Bama. Uh, Pete Medhurst, Navy's play-by-play, will join us to talk about um, the uh, Commander-in-Chief trophy battle between Navy and Air Force. And then also um, Ken Levicka of FAU, their play-by-play voice, will join us to talk about their matchup with Charlotte after Charlotte uh, had had at least, I guess, one or no, two weeks off now because they didn't play the Tar Heels or Georgia State a week ago um, due to uh, Georgia State's – or not affiliated with Georgia State, I, I don't guess, but um, wh- whoever, um, the medical staff there in Atlanta, whomever it was um, – misreading those um, coronavirus tests but um yeah we'll have those those uh, guests as well as several more um from 8 to 9 30 to 10 o'clock something like that on friday night and then this weekend we'll have our pirate football playback as well as our college football playback the pirate football playback will be Saturday night, and then um, the college football playback will be on Sunday morning, probably 9 a.m. Um, but we appreciate you tuning in. Uh, Jay, do you have anything else before we wrap this up? Uh, looking forward to the game Saturday. It's going to be a, a, an important game for ECU, and uh, and I'm excited to see it. And Rich was uh, awesome to talk to, really good guy. And, and I'm looking forward to seeing that SMU-Memphis game, too, to kind of see who can pull that out. And, and SMU – 
SMU is such a, a it was such a fun place for me to play just because it's it's right there in Dallas, a beautiful campus. So it'll be good to watch that game on TV. Yeah, and Pirates going down to Center Park Stadium, the former Turner Field, uh, home of the Atlanta Braves um, several years ago. Um, but uh, you know, and I, this line on this game has gone back and forth. Uh, it opened. Um, it opened at Georgia State minus one, and um, it went up to about two and a half or three, I think. And now it's back down to being a pick'em. So, will be very interesting to see. Uh, hopefully, the Pirates will be able to go to Atlanta and get a much-needed victory. Um, because if we're going to flirt with a winning season or have a winning season this year, um, we really need to win this one. A lot of a lot of folks are saying that, and it's, it's a pretty obvious statement, in, in my opinion. But we'll see how things go. Um, for Jason Halter, Kyle Barber, I'm Bubba Rosenbaum. You've been watching and listening to Sports Objective on Facebook and YouTube Live. We appreciate you tuning in. As always, go Pirates.